Hello and welcome back to the Football Index podcast, episode 123. And I'm joined by a returning guest after two years of a hiatus on the Figcast, Index Profit Hunter. What's taking you so long to reappear, mate? Last come on on episode 40. Yeah, I know. I didn't realise actually how long it had been. It's mad, isn't it? Life gets in the way, unfortunately. <laughs> There's been quite a lot going on, particularly the last year or so. Bought a new house, got a new job, and five months ago had a little baby boy. So haven't really slept since then. So apologies for the delay in coming back on, but you know, I'm happy to be here. Mate, you need to get your priorities straight, I reckon. All I this do, yeah. job business, kid business, FI first and only, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. That's why I'm here now. How have you been doing since that episode? Oh, bloody hell, it's 80, 83 episodes ago. So long ago. How have you been doing since then? Why don't you remind people about your FI journey? Back then, I'd considered myself quite a small time trader. I hadn't really invested an awful lot since then. Managed to convince the wife to put a bit of the uh, house fund in. So that went well for about six months, but I had to take that out. But yeah, been moving well. Found it more difficult, particularly since the little boy was born, just because I don't really have the time to do research or be on it as much. But, you know, I'm still enjoying it and ticking along nicely. Excellent, excellent. And last time you were on, it was off the back of a prize win, wasn't it? It was during the World Cup. Yeah, it was actually. They did the big giveaway, didn't they? The World Cup giveaway. So I think mine was in the middle of that. Won a tasty cash prize, didn't you? I did, actually. (laughs) Weirdly, we've got some questions about what the Euros is going to be like, but we're also joined by a debutant, probably a happy scouser right now, F.I. De Kaiser, De Kaiser, should I say, more German pronunciation. As an Evertonian fan, you must be happy after the 1-0 Atleti win. How are you doing, mate? Oh, I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing, firstly. <laughs> Absolutely. To see Liverpool get put into place, I mean, it doesn't come better. It doesn't happen very often. So, yeah, I'll take that little win. Just delighted to chat football with you guys also. Amazing, mate. Why don't you tell listeners a bit about yourself and what FI has been like for you so far? I started around about the World Cup um, a couple of years ago. So saw an advert, uh, I think it was on a tube or somewhere. I'd seen it before that, but I just, for whatever reason, life got in the way. I hadn't signed up. So I signed up, put about 500 quid in and I'd playing with that risk-free 500 quid. And I was doing that off 500 quid for about six months or so. Um, kicking myself now because I probably should have went bigger, you know, a lot sooner. But that did well, turn that, you know, done well on that, you know, a good little return. Similar to Hunter, I was buying a house at the time, so money was tied up. Then once that was all out of the way, I decided to go a little bit bigger in 2019, progressively bigger and bigger to where I am now. So yeah, the last year has been really kind, done well, learned a lot and ready to go for 2020. <laughs> 2020, raring to go. We'll talk about so much stuff, but we've got loads of questions, so I want to get right into them. First of all, miscellaneous ones. One from Tom Bleachfield, who actually asked about six, seven questions. I don't know if you saw notifications must have been going crazy there, boys. Couldn't put them all in, but this one I did put in the miscellaneous uh, section. Should FI release gift cards next Christmas? For an example, a £100 card giving you all instructions how to set up an account and a £100 credit on it. I would buy people this instead of a H&M or Argos gift card. James, what do you reckon? It's a great idea. I mean, it beats a pair of socks for new grand, doesn't it? <laughs> I'd much rather she did that. I like the idea. I just don't know if it's legal. Are you allowed to give somebody a gift card for a gambling platform? I mean, I can't imagine, you know, I'm, I must imagine Panda giving all his family, you know, <laughs> some bet fair money and et cetera. But I don't know if gambling regulations allow it. But I mean, like I said, it's, it's not a bad idea. It's certainly something that I think he's not the only one that would consider doing. I think it's a great idea. I've tried to get a number of my friends to sign up and they have signed up, but to occasion, I've actually given them 50 quid, you know, just to say, off you go. I've offered to do people that. Yeah. And they've rejected it. <laughs> I'm like, look, it's free money. Like, what? Like, come on, please just take it and use FI. Don't even have to give it back to me. If you lose it all, fine, whatever. But it's just like, yeah, it's impossible for me. Exactly the same, like trying to give money away, dubious behind it. And I'm like, look, mate, I don't even care if you if you lose the money, you know, you buy the worst players ever. I'm confident you'll do all right on it. So to have a gift card, that would kind of cover that up and send it in, you know, a nice little card or whatever. I think that'd be brilliant. I think it would increase signups quite a lot. I have said this a few times in the podcast that with crypto, you've got the ability to gift people stuff. And I'm sure that there are kind of like, you know, the FIFA ultimate team kind of thing where you can gift people packs or, I don't know. There needs to be 
I think going back to the podcast with Headhunter, I don't know if you guys listen to, and I know we're, we're talking about slightly more gimmicky stuff here, but that incentive for traders to really leverage the network effect and, and try and go out their way to encourage potentially bigger traders to come on, that there's kind of both sides to it that you could get your friends on who might not be putting that much in, but then there's the other side where there's not really that much of an incentive to try and get someone who might be able to be willing to, to plow a bit more in. I agree. Anything that can get new signups, you know, is going to be great. I liked the idea. I think I listened to that pod and I think the idea was behind gifting shares rather than gifting money. Mm. So I'm a Palace fan. Let's say I wanted to get my dad involved. You know, I could gift him some Wilfred Zaha, which would be great for, you know, four months time where he leaves us and we get relegated. But, you know, he might well go up in price. I agree. I was really interested in Headhunter's podcast. I think he was talking about recruitments and that. And he's an actual headhunter, isn't he, for recruitment? Yeah, he is. I wasn't sure whether he was a Chelsea headhunter <laughs> or, <laughs> or whether he was actually a recruitment consultant. But yeah, I thought that came across really well. And I agree with a lot of what he said. I think for me, so I, I work for a bank in Kennedy Wharf. So I've got access to quite a lot of high net worth individuals. And to be able to, to have that gimmick um, and to be able to say, look, you know, I'm not going to necessarily buy just colleagues, you know, give them a hundred quid or whatever. But, you know, for people that I might want to get signed up, that'd be quite a nice way. And then if you balance that with a referral from FI as well, you know, I think, I think it could exponentially increase sign-ups with people that have got a lot of money. It's just a no-brainer for FI to leverage this very sticky community of kind of advocates and actually really go out and push the boat as far as they can in that respect to try and get people to convince others to join in that way, if that makes sense. I remember speaking to someone who works for like a challenger bank, right? And one of these kind of like digital app-based banks. And he was saying that this select territory that they'd got a lot of customers in, it was fully through referrals. They were saying that they hardly spent any money on traditional marketing in that kind of certain territory that they were talking about. It was all through referrals and it went crazy. And that's how they built up a customer base in that particular geography or that particular territory. So I really do think there's big potential there for FI. But we'll move on to the next question here from FI Max with two X's, not to forget. It says, please explain Daniel Ak. PAE's recent 450% rise. Did you see this, Hunter? I must admit, I saw it. I didn't see him up 450%. I saw him up a couple of hundred percent, but I don't really know anything about it, to be honest. No idea who he is. I must admit, I did a quick Twitter search and all I could find was a story from late last week saying that he'd been involved in some sort of clangor. So I don't know whether somebody's watched him drop the ball into his own goal and decided that they're going to buy 50,000 shares in the guy. Just a bit of a weird one. I checked his price about half an hour ago and I think he was back down to 16p or so. So obviously whoever has bought has decided 24 hours later that he's not the best buy. Just hope people didn't get caught up in it because the trending list at times can be a real dark place where new traders especially get roped into thinking that they're onto something and then all of a sudden the original buyer kind of drops the floor beneath them. So hopefully traders didn't get caught out by that one but no idea who he is i'm afraid i have no idea who he is can you help us here kaiser absolutely not i've got no idea who he is i was laughing when i saw it because i was like this has got all the hallmarks of a pump and dump and then i looked at him and i was like nobody in the right mind is gonna pump and dump him so i'm thinking it's probably someone doing it for a bit of banter or it could be a mistake god knows i, I can't explain that one i can't either it had the hallmarks of a bump and dump, but people do strange things, I guess. But uh, I don't know. Let's see how that one kind of develops. And I have seen, was it the centre-back Ndicker, N-D-I-C-K-A? He, he had like a 50% spread. Looked like a bit of a yeah, pump and dump it. there. So FI definitely monitoring these a bit more. Is that something that you want people to take a bit more, or not people, FI to take a bit more of a stamp of authority on there, James? For sure. I mean... These coordinated pump and dumps are no good for the platform. Quite often it's new traders that get caught out and it was just going to cause them to leave. Yeah, I'm really glad that FI are doing more with it. I think there was the Felix Oduakai was the first one, wasn't he? That The young defender um, who got pumped up and I think they put his instant sell price down to 1p, which is really tough on anybody that's bought beforehand. But what it does is that it really shows that they are taking note of these coordinated pump and dumps and doing something about it so it's great the less it happens the better yeah i've got no time for pump and dumpers absolutely not and i think with pump and dumpers there's definitely a paper trail financial transaction so i mean i, I would just get them off the platform maybe there's like a, a traffic light system or whatever or three wheels and you're out but 
I imagine time and time again, it'll be the same people. So I'd start you know, getting them off the platform because it hurts the community big time. I agree. I don't think there should be any room for it. And I think it should be stamped out by FI. And I think they should ban people. They should put a line in the sand and they should really make examples of people that just don't have the platform's best interests at heart. And I mean, I think there are people who really love this platform. They obviously want to make money on it. They really enjoy using it. They want to see it do well. There are people that have come on maybe in the last, I say, 18 to 24 months who have come on and said, I want to just make money off this thing and I don't care what happens and I don't care who loses out and I don't care if I make a bad impression on people, etc., which I don't really like. We'll see whether or not FI act on, on any of those or if they are indeed pump and dumps or it's just someone absolutely mental buying that many of a player who's scored an own goal or, or whatever. But before we move on, if you guys haven't left a review and you're listening on the Apple iTunes app, please do leave a review. It means a lot. Just scroll to the bottom, go to the review section and write whatever you like, even if you hate the show. I would prefer you leave five stars, though, if you could. My latest YouTube video is up. It is the latest Bank Builder episode. So season two, episode nine, I had a really good trade there with Jude Bellingham. And then the video prior to that was all about how domestic European football, domestic European football, that doesn't make sense. European club football affects the index, walking you through some prices and drops and rises of last year and how they were affected by those juicy gold quarterfinal days. And the latest episode of the podcast was with Index Big Don and CJB Sacred. That's had an amazing reaction. So that was last Sunday's. If you haven't caught up with that one, do give it a listen. It was super good. But on to the present and the here and now, Carl Bran. Bran? <laughs> Carl Brown. That's a question. Currently, we are seeing. Drops when we see good performances, yet poorer PB scores. Rises when we see average performances, but very good PB scores. Opinions on this? I think my view on it is there's some things on FI that, first off, FI doesn't reflect reality. And if you're watching a football game and you've got a specific view on a player and you think that he's playing well, it's quite likely that his PB wouldn't reflect that. Um, so I think you've got to try and like play the rules of FI I remember when I first started on there, I was still doing fancy football and I've always done well at fancy football. The score and matrices were quite different and I was thinking to myself, because he's not doing well, why isn't he doing well on FI if he's doing well on, on, on fancy football? And I couldn't comprehend it for a bit and then it took me a while to actually work out that you know, they don't go hand in hand, they're slightly different. So I think sometimes you've got to like, just appreciate that FI is different and you've got to think through the lens of FI as opposed to thinking through the lens of just watching a football game. And to be fair, it has gotten better. It has moved more towards kind of reality. They've kind of implemented more and more tweaks. And I do definitely get it. We discussed on the pod with Panda about kind of Bappe, whether or not global media appeal. I almost think that actually media rather than kind of like the performance matrix is probably what's hindering some of these premium players being priced correctly compared to each other. I don't know if you agree, Hunter. Yeah, I do agree. I certainly agree that Although it doesn't completely accurately reflect real football, it has got a lot better. The scoring matrix now is way better than it was. I think the reason for what Carl's saying is just, I think a lot of people probably are watching the match day scores whilst watching the game or even not watching the game. So I think that's what you actually see on the pitch probably isn't the same as what's going on on the match day scores. So people are buying off that. I just think people have different opinions of performance and their expectations. To use an example from last night, Bruno Fernandes has obviously dropped because people maybe have expectations that, you know, he needs to be scoring his first goal. He did get an assist, but, you know, his PB score didn't appear great. But actually, if you watch the game, he was very impressive. I'd, I'd say that as a non-holder. He looks like he's settling into English football pretty well and he looks like he's going to be a pretty decent signing for Man United, but because he hasn't hit a 180 base or a 200 plus score, people are kind of deciding that their money's better elsewhere. And that's fine. That's just the nature of the index, really. Yeah, I think one of the other issues is that I was discussing this with someone recently, actually, that because we've only got six months worth of data on this current PB matrix and people are kind of obsessing over dividend returns rather than scores, it's quite interesting to gauge whether or not the actual scores that we're seeing rather than the dividend returns are comparable to on-pitch performance. And I think they are more than they used to be. 
there might still be a way to go. I don't think that's FI's priority at the minute, but it's something that I think eventually they might look at. But I really think something like media is definitely a priority. Kaiser, any other thoughts here? No, no, no. I, I get his question and I think it is annoying. I think I agree with your two points there, to be honest there. Even in my journey in 18 months or so, I think it has got a lot better. It does reflect football a lot better. It's a lot closer to the real game. But, you know, watching football is quite subjective. You and I can watch the same game. Like Everton will probably tear Arsenal apart next weekend. Um, and, <laughs> and, and you'll probably think Arsenal deserve to win. And I won't. I'll say Everton deserve to win. So, I mean, you know, you can have two completely different opinions on one person's performance, or one player's performance. So it will never entirely reflect you know, one opinion and there's lots of different opinions. That is very true. I think that to your point about FPL earlier, I mean, you can't even compare the two, right? I know that from an intuitive standpoint that we might want to see some synergies, but one is a three-year bet where bets trend to zero. The other, you could be 40 years old, but still a really, really good player and be playing in the Premier League and be on penalties or something like that and probably do pretty well on FPL. And people would hold a lot of him on FPL in terms of like his percentage of ownership. And it wouldn't matter because it's only for a season and you don't lose any money at the end of that season. It's just reset. Like I just, I just don't really get the comparisons. FI is such a different beast, isn't it? Hunter, anything else before we move on? No, that's all good. I think we've covered that. We've got a question from a friend of yours here, uh, Stanford the Lion. FI's yeah. arbitrary dividend cutoff. Is that a groan? It was a groan, sorry. Cut-off time creates different levels of volatility either side of a line in the sand. Is this change in capital letters in volatility desirable, accurately reflecting football through player prices, or perhaps there should be an on-the-day dividend payout taper? I'm going to let you answer this one, Kev. My only point to Stamford is he just never seems to offer a solution. So he's very good at identifying <laughs> problems. It happened the other week where he just kept barking on about issues and issues and he was just legitimately asked by three or four traders what's the solution and he didn't even warrant a response so I'm not going to warrant him a response unfortunately (laughs) to play devil's advocate here Hunter because I think I've seen more I don't want to say well articulated I want to say maybe more thought through arguments for this I think I had a, a back and forth with Don at one point who was on the podcast last week we kind of talked about I'm kind of in favor or I would like to see that dividend cutoff time pushed as far as it can be just to make the platform a bit more dynamic, especially when we have these Champions League nights, for example. Like I think everyone's kind of glued to their TVs. Everyone is wanting to see how the players that they hold do on a big Champions League nights, etc. And he was kind of like, well, if we push it all the way to like 10pm, then there's no predictive nature of FI. And obviously on his standpoint, he's got like 1,400 players, so there's not really that much need to predict. But from a general average trader, you're kind of holding your players and you're like, okay, these are my picks, these are my lottery numbers, right? I don't know if you get what you mean by that. I do completely agree. I do feel like the current cutoff time, I actually quite like it. I can completely understand your point about Champions League nights when games don't start until the evening. So I don't know if FI could potentially push it back on week nights, but let's say we did move it back to 10 o'clock, that's obviously, or let's say 8 o'clock before the Champions League games start. I just worry that if you made it eight o'clock on a Saturday or a Sunday, it's just going to promote irresponsible gambling because there's people who are literally glued to their laptops and phones all day as it is trying to trade. If we make the dividend deadline even later, it's just going to spiral out of control. So I I mean, I quite like the current cutoff time of 3pm. In an ideal world, I'd like to see it move to 2.30 because we do see huge spikes for those early German games on a Saturday and it kind of takes away from almost like the predictive nature of it as such. There's no, well there's very rare better feelings than you know if you've bought a player before the dividend cut line, before they've actually kicked off and then they win PB or then they you know they score highly. That's so much more of a rewarding circumstance than it getting to three o'clock and let's say Timo Werner's already bagged a brace and it's pretty obvious that he's on for a 250 plus and everyone just pushes their money into him I'd I'd just like to see from a personal point of view a little bit more kind of knowledge rewarded rather than just you know reactive trading I absolutely agree with the 230 I think even though it's a gambling platform 
and people are after making money and stuff. I, I do agree with the elements of skill in it. And if you have games, it cuts off time three o'clock. It, it does become an element of faster finger first. And I'm terrible at that game, fastest finger first. That certainly doesn't suit me. But I'm comfortable with where it is to a large extent because I think it gives people enough time on a Saturday or whatever day it is to get up and to you know do what they're doing in the morning or whatever. And you've got a bit of time for football time. So it gives people... I used to hate it when I'd be doing uh, fancy football and, and, and you'd forget in the morning, like if the cutoff time was like half 11 or whatever it was, sometimes you don't always have enough time in the morning to do that. So I think early afternoon is pretty fair. And just more broadly... I'm really comfortable. It's questions about volatility. I'm really comfortable with the level of volatility on it because FI ultimately make their money from volatility. So for them, um, volatility is a good thing. And then therefore, it's a good thing for us because they can you know, improve dividends and other things because they're making more money. So, so I'm, I'm pretty happy where it is. I'm not an in-play trader, though. So to me, I actually don't get involved that much on the, you know, I don't buy on the day. You know, mine are more medium-term holds. So for me, it doesn't really affect me, if I'm honest. I actually think that the volatility is is super overstated. There are stocks, shares, I know we're comparing apples and oranges here, but this is something that you can have your money in that could go up or down, essentially. you know, If you compare the volatility of some stocks to some FI players, I don't think you'd see too much difference. eBay, for example, I've just chosen this arbitrarily, is down 1.9% today that's a stock worth $38. And if we see that kind of movement on an expensive player on FI, there often is a lot of panic. And that's something FI can't always control. There's always going to be volatility. And as you mentioned, Kaiser, it's going to be desirable to some extent for them to have some volatility to make the money. It's just one of those things that I think is something that FI traders need to have slightly thicker skin over. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, t- I talked about working for a bank, so, you know, I, I know what real volatility is like there. <laughs> if you're talking about, say, um, US, and I don't want to talk about politics, but, you know, US, Iran and the price per of oil, then, you know, it's the certain things where you do see massive swings then with, with the events, you know, that are completely global events that can have a massive impact on economies and therefore share prices. And that's that's real volatility. I mean, you know, Brexit and the pound over the last like two or three years, four years, whatever, all these kind of things have caused way more volatility than I think FI traders have ever seen in their lives. So it's one of those things that I think it's just like, if you're a long-term trader, these are bumps in the road. And I think it's something me and Stanford have talked about a lot, actually, where I'm just like, the volatility you might not like, but I think if it affects you, then it's something that you need to reconsider, like your actual position on the platform. If you are a very long-term trader and you're taking a 18th, 24, three-year-plus outlook on some players, then you shouldn't really care about these short-term price swings. But speaking of something that might create a lot of price swings eventually, FI Northern Guna has a question here about order books. He says, do you think order books could potentially put off new investors in the sense that I feel like the current setup allows the lack of liquidity to go unnoticed, especially in the lower cap players? Cheers. Interesting question. There's a huge amount of uncertainty around order books everyone's going to be slightly nervous about it. I don't think it's just new investors I mean I'm an existing investor for nearly three years now and I'm quite apprehensive about it because you know naturally we're a little bit apprehensive towards change but we should be excited by it because it's what needs to happen it is the next big step for Football Index to become kind of like a self-running company and you know to take them out of the equation as such I'd expect once order books are implemented for money to drift up simply because there's just not the demand down the bottom of the market that there is at the top of the market. So you're not going to find the demand once you buy a player down the lower end of the market to actually move those shares on to somebody else. So I think it's a natural, I'd call it a correction, is going to occur because I'm not saying there's not value down the bottom, but the whole cheap equals value agenda that's going on around at the minute, you know, is leading to some really quite illogical rises. So yeah, I'm I'm excited for order books. But yes, I do agree with his point. I do think it will potentially put off new investors. But eventually once if I get the hang of things and once traders get to grips with it, then I see the platform going from strength to strength. I'm itching to answer this because I thought it was an absolutely brilliant question. And 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 when we've talked about order books and have listened to your pods in the past, Fig and just had conversations with people. It's normally entirely seen as a positive thing. Whilst I think that is true on the whole, there are little bits that that we do need to consider. And I think there's a couple of things I'll mention. 
And this comes from the context of I was on Betfair when I started uni in, in 2003. So I was on it early, um, did well at it and had experience in working in, in illiquid markets. So I would quite often get into markets like two years before the event happened. So a good example of that would be, say, the World Cup 2018. I'd be creating prices, being a market maker in 2016 when it's quite liquid. And I'd make quite a lot of money off that because you can set the price. So when I look at, to look at his question, when he's talking and what Hunter says, when you look further down the market where it definitely will be more liquid, there's definitely still going to be opportunities for people like me or for, you know, for other people to be able to set prices. And people that, that get to grips with that quite quickly will do quite well. I'd actually counter his point as well um, when he talks about the, uh, there's more effect in the, the lower cap players. One of the things I'm really interested to see, and I think it'll be for the first time, is that we will be able to see how much liquidity is actually in the market. Right now, we, we don't know that. We know historically what's in there and we know what the footy says. But right now, you can't see um, where you are for the queue for, say, say Neymar, for example. So when people are trying to sell PB players or sell young players or whatever, it'll be really interesting. Um, say Neymar scored today, but say he had a, a bad game and for whatever reason people want to sell him. When order books come up, you potentially could see that you've got you know, 50,000 people trying to sell Neymar. And that'll be quite a concern there because people are thinking, well, where's the liquidity? Where are my buyers for Neymar? Or whatever player that might be. It could be you know, Sancho at some point, whoever that is, and people trying to sell them. They may be concerned they're, you know, number 50,000 in the queue. So I think alarm bells could go potentially at both ends of the market. But I also think there's massive opportunities at both ends as well. Yeah, I think we were talking a bit about this before we, we jumped on the line. I actually think that it won't put off new investors because if you're a new investor, you'll only have known FI as it is for maybe a, a couple of months. I presume that's what you mean by new investors. As in people that are just being acquired, all they'll ever know is order books, right? So for them, it's no different. And I just feel that actually it could put off people that are medium traders, if that makes sense. People that have been on for like six to 12 months. I think they're the ones that are from who I've spoken to and the amount of people that have DM'd me and talked to me about order books and watched my videos, commented on, on the order book video that I made a while back ages ago when they first announced it. That's the kind of feeling that I'm getting. My thing is that FI needs order books to remove themselves from the market to make themselves more a sustainable business. But it also allows Wales to come in and look at this thing as a more professional betting machine. Thirdly, the other thing is that FI are not going to alienate their whole market base. They're not going to alienate all their traders. They're not going to take that risk. And I do think that the type of order book or the system that they're going to implement is going to be quite measured. And I don't think it's going to be as aggressive as a few people are kind of thinking and scared about, if that makes sense. I'm excited. I really am. I think it'll really benefit the platform. Um, I think it'll be an opportunity for a new way of trading. You know, when we talk about in, in that liquid market for you to be able to be the market maker, I think that's quite, quite exciting. I think it's massively going to benefit. And to take your point up that, you know, new investors coming in do expect this. So when you're trying to explain like what instant sell is and how you sell to market and you actually can't see where you are, that is a bit of a problem. So once that's all swept up, and, and I'm sure it's going to be swept up because they've had enough time to, that's a massive assumption that it's going to be delivered well. But, you know, assuming it is delivered well, then I think it will massively going to enhance the, the platform. I agree with what both of you guys have said. Yeah, I do think kind of the old guard as such, the guys that have been here since the beginning and since the last two years or so are so into FI that, you know, order books isn't going to put them off. Whereas, yeah, guys that, you know, have been on for six to 12 months, are probably only just quite getting used to the way that market works at the minute. And then, you know, they're being asked to kind of adapt to the new way with order books. But yeah, I, I really like Kev's point about, you know, the visibility of and the transparency of seeing what the market depth looks like. My favourite thing is going to be when somebody tries a pump and dump and then you're going to go and check the price and see that, you know, 3p above the price that they're currently at, there's a sell order for 900 shares and you can work out that Rob Coff's trying to rinse you out of 20 quid. So yeah, good luck with that one, Rob. But it's going to be great all round because like you said, you're going to be the market maker. You're going to be able to set sell orders and buy orders. And it will mean that passive traders like me at the minute where I don't really have the time to be on FI all the time and watch the ticker, I'll be able to set, you know, buy orders when a player... I like drops five, six pence, and it's going to allow me to kind of take a more passive approach to trading while still kind of actively trading. 
it'd be interesting how long those, when you set a price, you set a buy price, how long that stays before it lapses. So I've had some experience of this on Betfair again, where you can ask for some ridiculous prices. So say it could be, I don't know, 50 to one for England to win the Euros. That'd be a ridiculous high price. But, you know, in my experience, people match these things because there's, there's a couple of idiots out there as well, you know, that, you know, that they'll just match that type of stuff. So that's going to be really interesting for people like you and I that I'm quite time poor. So I could just set that price on there and just sit and wait. So it could be, I don't have to be on the platform every day. Yeah, it's such a good point, actually. A lot of people might be concerned about the notion of order books coming in, having to be on the platform more, etc. In actual fact, it could benefit those more passive traders, which is a really good point that I haven't really thought about too much, but it is a super good point from the pair of you. We've got a question here from Sean Cook. So diverting slightly. What do you see as the next big trend on the index? When I'm thinking about this, I was categorizing this question. There's two types of trends in my mind. There's the ones that are event-related and that you can, you, it's easy to predict. And then there's the non-event-related ones. And, and what I mean by that is that's where the FI start messing about with the matrix or come up with an announcement <laughs> that, that can't be foreseen. I think that's two separate parts. I'm not going to dwell too much on that because while some people like predicting that you know goalkeepers are going to rise or whatever, I think I'm not going to answer that. But I'll, I'll try and talk about trends as per as we see them right now if not changed on the platform so tonight will be interesting uh well although champions league ties were inconclusive tonight so there's probably not really an effect too much on the market but you know people that go out in the champions league or people do well they'll probably rise or fall the euros is the big one players now people are gonna be jumping onto those players some of the prices might be already factored in some won't there's still opportunities there the Euro qualifiers are going to be quite interesting. So the likes of there's the four, how many types, there's two games. So whoever goes through on that, like Serbia or, or the Danes or whoever, that could be quite interesting. Championship players for me, I did well out of those last year. So those that are about to get promoted or those that were about to get relegated into the, the championship, you know, like knowledge are probably down now. So the likes of, I don't know, any talent they've got, whether it's Cantwell, who's already risen this week or Max Ahrens, those type of players will do well. Then you've got the transfer season, which, you know, people already gearing themselves up for that. The things that, when I was thinking about this before, the other things that I'd add on that, which we haven't seen before, is what effect is the Olympics going to have? Are uh, FI actually going to consider that? That's essentially mm. a youth tournament, but are they going to bother with that? Because the Olympics is a massive event, not in football terms, but, you know, are they even going to bother with that? So that might be interesting. The Copa America, I don't know if everyone's realised that, you know, that's back again this year. So, you know, they're doing that. <laughs> it's uh, back every year, isn't it? It's back every year. I, I can't keep up with it. They keep changing it. But I think people thought, I've heard a lot of people say, I'll move out to South American players. They've got to be playing the Euros for me to, to hold over summer or they've got to be in a transfer. And whilst I, I can see the logic in that, it really, talking about those non-event stuff, FI change and the Euros announcement, which I think is a question we'll, we'll, we'll talk about later. But the Copa America players could do still well. And I think one of the things that, might not do so well, um, which I did well out of last year, was the under-21 tournaments. Because there was no global tournament last summer, lots of people's attention turned towards under-21s. I don't think that'll happen this summer because there's plenty of things to keep people busy. That was summed up nicely, I feel. <laughs> I don't know if me and Hunter have got anything to say. No, I mean, I was literally just going to say the European knockouts, so the Europa League and the Champions League. I think that this round is still considered a bronze I think the Europa has two rounds of bronze games, actually, because I think they're still in the round of 32. Is it gold, though, the last 32? There's so many games. Oh, I don't think so. I, or was I it think silver? It's still... Oh, no, it will be. Yeah, actually, it will be a gold and then it will be a silver, won't it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, Because eight, the difference really... 11, 12, the... 13, 14, 15, 16, yeah, 16. Yeah, so it will be But then it goes gold silver in the last 16, doesn't it? Which is it weird. Will. Yeah, but obviously all the... Champions League are currently bronze because there's two games a day. But that's where I feel like the real trend will be and the real money will go to because once... Sorry to interrupt you. Do you think that should be changed, Hunter? Do you think that all the Champions League knockout games should be... I don't see why it's from the quarterfinals. I feel like if you've made the last 16 and qualified from the group, then you've done pretty well. So I don't see why we do a round of bronze and then three gold. And then the Europa League as well. It's a bit weird to go from gold to silver to gold again in terms of playing in a last 32 game. That- they make it confusing, don't they? It could just be much more simple than that. But yeah, my original point was going to be, you know, you're going to have two games a day on Champions League nights where you're going to have 44 players, plus obviously the subs and the chance of 16p for star player, which is just going to be insane value. 
so yeah that's kind of where I see the money going and then there's that safety blanket of you know they play at the Euros that I don't think we'll see massive drops from players that exit the tournament but are still playing at the Euros but if they're not playing at the Euros then the drop could be slightly more significant so for example I probably see Messi dropping more than Ronaldo when each of those clubs go out if they do go out and don't reach the final. Interesting. I think in my head, there's four big kind of markers. There's the latter stages of the European club competitions, as you mentioned there, Hunter. There's the Euros, which you guys both have mentioned. There's transfer window, which you've also mentioned. There's one thing that I think people haven't really talked about recently is August dividend review, which I think has been confirmed, right? Both in writing and then by Adam Cole in the Q&A. That's going to be interesting as well, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's just a matter of predicting it, isn't it? We don't really know. I mean, I'm not sure if you guys were the same, but when the latest dividend review came out and they were increasing it by 57%, I just couldn't believe it. I thought that was beyond our wildest dreams. I don't know if there'll be a slight pullback. You know, I can't see it going 50% again, but no, whatever it is, it's going to be great because, you know, even as the current dividend structure is, when he asked that question, I mean, they're the hard things to predict, aren't they? What FI are going to do? The easier things to predict is just to look at the football calendar. And I think that's what new traders should do, actually. That, you know, if I was going to give a tip to somebody, it's like, don't follow the current trend now and get burned by that African goalkeeper or whatever. Get ahead of the game and look at what's coming up over the next couple of months because I think that's easier to predict than, than what, well, it definitely is easier to predict than what FI are going to do because no one's got a clue. I definitely didn't predict that match day announcements. That was just, you know, no idea. It's too complex for me anyway. Yeah, I think it certainly is interesting. I think that's something that traders haven't thought about. And it's around the corner, you know, it's not too far, it's like six months away. And it's going to have to happen before the season starts. So you're presuming it'd be in the first week of August, right? So Euros finishes on the 12th of July. And then you've got pretty much three weeks until essentially we find out what the verdict is from uh, FI as to what they're going to do with the dividends, I guess. Yeah, the hype between the Euros and that announcement is just going to be ridiculous, isn't it? That would concern me if I was FI, because if you don't set expectations and then the market hypes itself, it's a lose-lose situation for you at that point, isn't it? I guess they'll have to make the decision closer to the time, depending on how big the market cap and how much money there is in here, how ready they are with the kind of order book side of things, because they might want to coincide order books going on with a dividend increase, because you're then going to naturally have more IPOs, you're going to have people who kind of shit it a little bit. So maybe those two or three things come together in the nice kind of like they've all kind of been shit storming each other and then they kind of all culminate into one barrel of goodness in August. So let's see how that goes. Just before we move on, just need to remind you guys that this podcast is supported by Index Gain. So if you don't know what they are, they are a third party data provider for Football Index traders. There's over 1,500 people using their service. They essentially provide loads of data such as past dividend yields, past PB scores, past scores over a certain bracket. For example, you can filter how many times a player has scored over 200 or 225. You could check kind of future fixtures. They also have a great Slack community. So Slack, the app is basically a messaging service. And also within that, they've got loads of great functionality with their BuzzBot which essentially lets you set up your portfolio. You can monitor your kind of price movements up and down without even having to go on Football Index. If you guys are interested in finding out more about Index Gain, head over to indexgain.co.uk. You can use FIG2020 for £5 off your first month. But that's not all. If you go for the semi-annual plan, so that's a whole six months, you get one month free and another five quid off. And that's with the code FIG2020. I don't know if you boys use it, but it's, uh, it's a great platform, isn't it? Yeah, it's fantastic. That and Edge, you know, have just really taken kind of the research tools to a different level. It's fantastic. Can't recommend them enough, really. Definitely. I think more and more things popping up. I don't know if you guys saw the index track from Market Cap that was put out the other day. Seems interesting as well. More and more people doing stuff in the ecosystem only bodes well. We've got a question here from, and at this point, you might as well just kind of copy and paste me saying this next sentence a question from fi headhunter what was the index like during the last world cup and what should newer traders expect in the terms of player trends volatility etc for the euros what do you think the fi euros announcement will be that's the other thing that we glossed over didn't we we didn't mention that what the actual payouts are going to be during the euros yeah no you're right were you around when the world cup was on last time kaiser yeah i just joined it was like the first week that was quite an experience for me 
I was just thinking back then uh, when Fig was reading out the question. Russia hosted didn't they? So I think the the first game Russia thrashed somebody like four yeah. or five nil. I think it was, and I think Cherishev scored a couple. And his price went mental. I think it, it must have yeah. doubled or something. And then he scored. I think he scored in the next game as well. And then you had people. I'm not really that active on Twitter that much anyway, but I was following it and watching. And there was people pumping Iranian players on Facebook group on Twitter, and you know, just people that just had no value. I never bought those players, but I certainly saw what was happening. I think that's when I first realised what the definition of a pump and dump was. <laughs> yeah, I think Jay Hall had a great World Cup, didn't he? In Sardinia, after yeah. all those Peruvian players <laughs> magically disappeared from his portfolio like a week before they were supposed to play. You're right, everyone rose. Literally everyone, everyone that was playing rose regardless of who they were playing for, You know, regardless of PB potential. I put 500 quid in around then. So I thought, who's going to do well in the Euros? And I, I put a bet on Harry Kane at the time. And he, I think I got him at odds of like 20 to 1. And I put like 25 quid on him. So I won like 500 quid. I thought, right, I'm going to buy 250 pounds worth of shares on him on, on Football Index. And he hardly rose, even though he, he won the gold boot. And that was because his price was already factored in. So I think people have got to think about if you're buying the top players. When I started then in June, lots of the prices already factored in. Because I thought I was going to be a millionaire then. I was like, you know, he's, he's smashing it. He's, he's got an attic already. But his price didn't necessarily rise. So that confused me a little bit there. I thought it was going to double. And it, it kind of plateaued throughout June and July. So that was interesting for me. But like the biggest thing I learned there is the, all the pump and dump merchants that's going on. I think people have got to be careful with that, definitely. It's going to happen again, let's be honest. Yeah, you've just got to be careful with who you pick. It's obviously difficult to predict who's going to qualify from the groups and actually progress, especially the group of death with, is it Germany, Portugal and France in the same group? I mean, you're going to do well to predict the two teams that qualify for that and whoever the fourth team is in that group. I'm just going to put it out there. You probably shouldn't be buying players from that nation, regardless of who they are. There's the weird thing with the Euros, isn't it? That is it three or four groups where third qualifies or is it two groups? Yeah, it's really strange how, I mean, even... Before they did the draw, half of the draw was done and teams had to be in certain groups because they yeah. were hosting. So it's all to do with who's hosting games, etc. But yeah, I mean, it was a shambles of a draw. So what do you think the announcement's going to be? I would hope that they go gold days for every game day. Why not? It'd be nice, wouldn't it? If they combine something <laughs> with media as well. Maybe, yeah. you know, like last season, they had the five places, didn't they, for media over the summer. I know there wasn't a tournament, but if they did treble media or something over the tournament, that would be good to, you know, kind of provide like double trading, trading for PB and MB rather than just kind of it taking away from the transfer window at the same time. I know not a lot of transfers go through during the Euros, but there's still likely to be some big stories going on. I think they'll probably do something along the lines of IPDs because that increases volatility. So FI benefits. So if, if they, it wouldn't surprise me if they are to increase those for the month of the Euros. They pay out more, but they get a lot in commission as well. I'd love to see, you know, when you do the World Cup, best 11 or whatever, I forget what it's called now, but do they do a Euros best 11, don't they? So I'd love to see them pay off for that. I'd love to see them pay off for the golden boost as well. Those type of things, I think they'd be quite a nice gimmick. To your point, you know, the Harry Kane thing, his price might have seen a bit more action if there was a golden boot or a player of the tournament, whatever it may be, you know? Like these kind of... I guess gimmicks or whatever, they can actually have a profound effect on the market to some extent. Yeah, that's just me harping back, you know, because I called them being golden boots and I didn't really get rewarded on FI, so <laughs> that, that, that really disappointed me, as you can tell. I think that keeps interest as well, because lots of people, when they gamble, they pick the winner and they pick the golden boots, and lots of people do that as a combined bet. That might be quite a good one. And team of the tournament, for me, that would be good. And then I expect them to raise IPDs or, or certainly they, whatever way they want to call it or whether they use that super match day stuff as well. This is like a test case at the moment and you throw that in, that could happen. It needs significant improvements, that does. You've kind of taken the FPL underscore FI addicts question out of his own mouth. He says, what do you think the April Euro announcement would be? And he says, announcing in advance should boost those areas that benefit most for a longer time period and be better than current promotions. What areas price points are likely to benefit most? I genuinely think there needs to be some sort of gold days in the group stages. Could they even do like a gold plus or a, was it PB Man on the podcast a while ago said diamond days on certain, you know, a Champions League final or in the Euro semis or finals or whatever, maybe even the, the knockouts. I don't know, like it just would be quite interesting to see players playing at the highest level of football rewarded for playing in that kind of level of football, if that makes sense. Oh, I'd agree with that. There you go, addict. I hope you had a <laughs> decent answer to that question. Jonathan Wilson's got an interesting one here. 
which I was thinking about as I answered some of those questions. Do you think FI will need to feature the full Euro 2020 squads on the platform to stay relevant? And if so, this would mean a hell of a lot of IPOs. FI saying NASDAQ won't be ready till the new season, is this going to be an issue? Have FI said that NASDAQ isn't going to be ready before the start of the season? They said that the aim is before the new season, I believe, off the back of Adam Cole's Q&A. They've kind of got their hands tied with this, haven't they? Because the current IPO system really isn't working from a technical standpoint. Can the tech handle it? If it can, then potentially, yes, you would need to do it because it kind of looks a bit amateurish if you know, there's certain players that aren't eligible to buy on the platform. You'd think that most of the players that people want are already on the platform, but you know there's always going to be a couple of gems that haven't yet been IPO'd that people may want to buy. I hate the current IPO system. I've got very little good words to say about it. You know, it's it's great for FI because of the commission and you know the money that they make, but it just doesn't reward football knowledge whatsoever. There's numerous players that I've asked for and other people will have asked for that just don't get IPO'd until, you know, they burst onto the scene and do something. You know, it's the fastest fingers first and rewards people that don't actually go to work, etc. Um, <laughs> my solution for IPOs is simple. Just don't allow instant sell or market sell on that player for a certain period of time, whether that's two weeks or a month. And it's just going to stop people from flipping these players. There's going to be a high amount of people that are just not going to be prepared to hold a player that they don't really want or didn't really know who they were for that period of time. So that's going to separate the people that actually want to buy the player from the people that are flipping. But I can understand why if I keep it the way it is because it's a great money spinner for them. And, you know, a lot of people actually enjoy the IPOs, particularly the ones that make a lot of money from it. I'm with you on that on IPOs. I mean, I've never gone on an IPO, to be honest, ever, um, because I'm in work or I've got kids, you know, so I've just got no chance. Even when Cherky came out, I think that was Christmas Eve, wasn't it? I was like doing family stuff, so it just doesn't work for me. So I don't, selfishly, I'd always have a, a blind baller for that, you know, where you get a bit of time to predict it. You put your price in that you're willing to buy him at, put that into like sealed bids or whatever, that's how I do it. But just on the question there, there's a couple of points I'd make. Just thinking about the numbers. So what, there's 20, 24 teams, 20 squads, 23. So around about, what's that, 550 players or so I think a good proportion of those are going to be on the index already because it's not like the World Cup where you've got the likes of Iran and Peru where pretty much all of those 23 squads maybe one or two of the players were already on the platform you know you're having to list like 20 players off one squad straight away I don't think it's going to be the case this time because you've got lots of the stronger European nations where there's lots of players there's still going to be some players that you've got after the IPO you know they definitely will need to IPO Thing is, though, I don't think FI can really do it until a squad's announced. And I think from past experience, squads are announced around about the the final 23 is only around the 31st of May, around about that time. We don't even know who's going to be in the tournament. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they can't do it now. They're going to have a lot of work doing that first week of June. He's talking about, is the system going to be able to cope? Getting back to that point I made on the numbers, there's probably not going to be loads of players that they're going to have to IPO. There's you know, certainly a lot less than the World Cup, but there's still, there's still going to be enough. I think the tech will be fine. I really do. I don't know if there's going to be the demand for those players because I think anybody that's breaking into the squads last minute, they're going to have to be performing around about now, you know, March, April time. They're not all of a sudden going to have one game in May and come to everyone's attention. They're going to be doing the business now. So they've got quite a bit, they've still got a little bit of lead in time and get the, the high-flying youngsters that aren't already on the platform. I can't think of any at the top of my head because most of them are on there that are going to go to the Euros. But any, if anyone that comes on the radar now, they have got a bit of time to react. I'm not too worried about that. I don't think there should be a, as you said, like the World Cup where there was such a surplus of players that were added and so many players that basically were bought during the World Cup and then just never bought ever again that are still on the platform. I just don't think we're going to see that in the Euros. And again, we don't know who's going to be in it to some extent. So we need to kind of bide our time and wait and see. And I think the tech will be fine just because I don't think the players that are going to be issued are going to actually have that much demand. Yeah, I think the systems will be able to handle, you know, a load of Ukrainians and that coming on. I can't see it, you know, breaking the platform like Turkey and Tanganga did. No, nah, it's not exactly like 30 or 40 turkeys, is it? It's more the equivalent of a... Who's that guy at the start? Akpeye? Load yeah, of exactly. <laughs> Load of Vims, basically. Got a question here from Tom Bleachfield regarding young players. How would an ACL injury hit the price of golden boys like Cherky, Ashish, Bellingham, etc.? 
Is the injury like this at the age of 16 or 17 more dangerous for his career than when a player is already established? Depends how established. Exactly. It depends how established that player is. Are we talking established 21 or, you know, like Rashford and Ali and all those young kind of 20s are? Or are we talking a 30-year-old player? Why don't we play a game? I'll name a player. You both have to say the percentage you think that player would drop if they had an ACL tomorrow. Okay. So, Tony Cruz. Uh, 15%. Ronaldo. 30%. Oh, okay. Messi. 30%. Cherky. 10%. Depay. That's a good one. How much did he drop? Uh, it was about 20%, was 20, it? wasn't it? Yeah. There was a bit more with Depay about potential loss of euros and transfer, though, wasn't there? But yeah, it was about 20%, wasn't it? That's interesting. Like, I mean, you said 15% for Cruz, who's going on 30, and, you know, if he did his ACL tomorrow, then a lot of people would reassess that position, I, I suppose. But 15% isn't that big for someone that's lost maybe nine to 12 months of the last six years of their career, I suppose. I just think he's got quite a following Tony Cruz, isn't he? And he's not at the same age as Ronaldo and Messi. He's probably physically in worse condition than the pair of them. But I think everybody looks just simply at the numbers and would see that he's 30 and Ronaldo's 34 and think it's more dangerous for Ronaldo. But I could see Ronaldo still playing at 37 and probably can't see Tony Cruz playing past 35. Cruz has got no pace, has he? And he's not mobile around the pitch. So he could probably just stand there and still dominate games. <laughs> you know, and have like 150 passes a game. So he'd probably be all right. Come back and play. I think my point on the young players, and I see where he's going with this question. There's a couple of examples of players that have had a bad day ACL and they haven't been the same player. A lot of those would have been 20 years ago when there wasn't the advances in medicine and physiotherapy and all that type of stuff. But even then, if you go back to 20 years ago, I mean, Shearer had a bad injury. I think he did his ACL. It was 1993, I think it was, 93, 94. And came back and then was best than ever. Van Nistelrooy is another example. that The original Ronaldo, um, he had a bad injury. And closer to home, like Ross Barkley had a terrible injury when he was 16. Uh, I think it was Andre Wisdom that broke his leg. It wasn't an ACL, but it was a leg breaker. And he came back and performed in line with the expected level. So... It's difficult to predict. And actually, if young players... I was reading an article a few months ago now and I'm just recalling it. I think if people have an injury young, it's a very much a test of character for them and it kind of builds resilience in them. And when they're away from the game, it's a test of whether they can cope with football. Um, so some of them do come back with a better character. I don't think you can necessarily turn around and say just because they're getting injured young, that they're not necessarily going to... They do miss out on key development. But they've still got time to catch up. I'd be more worried about the examples you talked about the older players. You get an injury at like 33, 34. That's pretty much an investment gone because are they going to come back? The one that's most interesting, I guess, is the players that are kind of 21 to 25 are probably most protected, I suppose. I mean, if a 16 to 19 year old who hasn't played too much first team football did his ACL, I think they'd probably go down more than, you know, I think we saw Zaniolo recently, we saw Depay, those guys have kind of like recovered. So I think that age bracket, the 21 to 25, are probably the most safe. Got a question here from Tom or F.I. Lewin. Is buying young players on big prices a shrewd investment or a big gamble? Jude Bellingham being a prime example. Young players on big prices. I mean, what's a big price? Jude Bellingham, what, 380? I don't think it's a massive gamble. There's the stigma with young players, isn't there? That you've got time. So, you know, there's all this hype going around on Twitter and, you know, the Football Index community, etc. But, you know, if you're buying somebody like Jude Bellingham, he's probably got four or five years at least before he's considered to have either made it or flopped. Look at somebody like Revel Morrison, for example, kind of just burst onto the scene. And then it took quite a while before he kind of filtered down the leagues. He still would have been worth quite a lot when he went to West Ham and, you know, it's kind of like, it is a risk in terms of, you know, these players could just not make it at all. But, you know, traders love to be on the next Sancho and the next Neymar and, and these players are hyped up. Now, there's a high chance that they don't make it, but, you know, there's going to be plenty of time on the way to decide to move that money elsewhere. So we're not going to decide in... 12 months' time that Jude Bellingham is not going to be a world-class player. He's got so much time to prove himself as a player that, you know, there's going to be plenty of opportunities 
to actually sell that player. That's a good point. I quite like buying young players for the reasons Hans just said. You know, it's, it's exciting. There's hype around them and stuff like that. It's difficult, this one. I'm going to sit on the fence a little bit because it really depends what type of player you're buying and whether he is going to be an outstanding young player. I think someone like Cherky, for me, he's, he's brilliant. He's two-footed. He's a generational type player. I'd be comfortable paying £4 for him, knowing that he's going to go on and do stuff. But then if you think of, it was Rianne Brewster that won the top goal scorer, didn't he, in the under-17s. If you go back then, a couple of years ago, and you said, who's definitely going to make it out of all those youngsters? Brewster would have been up in the top three, you know, mm. on the lips of everybody. And he's, you know, he might still go on and turn it around and, and, and crack on, but he's one off a debate. So it, it is really difficult to predict. I think the thing with the, the players that are already priced high, there probably is less capital growth in it for them, say over the next year. I don't know what share his price is going to be in the next year. It could be anything because he could be brilliant. But Bellingham, I, I mean, I don't know if he gets the United move. Yeah, he could go up. But if he gets a, Chelsea move or something like that what's his price going to be is it going to be there's probably more risk that his price won't go up or double in price than it would if you got a youngster that was maybe £2 he's probably got more growth in him potentially yeah that's a good point you've made a lot of good points there especially on the on the Brewster side of things it's interesting to see even in, if you looked at his price graph if you had a, a three year view of his price like there would have been as Hunter mentioned peaks and troughs where you could have probably sold him because of an event, whether it's like a an under-21s tournament or a pre-season friendly for Liverpool, etc. It's a really interesting thing to think about. And these guys have got so many years of potential dividends ahead of them. And we don't know what FI will be when they're even, as you said, Hunter, 21, 22, let alone 25, that it's hard to really, it's really hard to price these players. It really is. No, you're right. It's very difficult. It's tough for Football Index to IPO them as well because, you know, mm. you're basically setting the price of what you think they're going to return in dividends and to do that for a 16, 17-year-old is just so difficult. That's why they're probably doing them quite high, aren't they? Because you have to factor in however many potential dividend increases in the, in the future, etc. And I think that this is why this kind of like dividends over a player's career thing becomes a lot more prevalent because when you do realise that FI are the, the kind of house, they're the other side of that bet, they are pricing players with the view of a player's dividend yield over their whole career when they price players. And we're at the other side of that bet. So I think when kind of people talk about career dividends, that's the, the one thing that I point out. And I'm like, well, how do you think FI price players? And they're like, uh, well, I don't know, probably looking at how many dividends they'll win. And it's like, well, that's kind of thought. But the thing is, it's not the be all and end all because it is so hard. There are so many variables that we've just talked about, and there are so many peaks and troughs with these young players. But got a question here from Fi Elliot. He says, "Great guests, so plaudits to you boys." After receiving your Super Match Day dividend payout emails, are you keen to see it stay with any improvements, or would you rather completely ditch the idea for something less complicated and easier to track? It hasn't affected me in the slightest, really, in how I trade. It took me ages to understand what was going on with it. Normally, you get you get that half an hour window when announcements come up, and you can actually you can see within like five minutes of how it's affecting the matrix and who you're going to buy, all that type of stuff. And it took me quite a bit longer than that. So I just give up in the end. I was like, you know what, I'm not going to get involved in this. I've just traded normally, so I'd probably, you know, I was going to say ditch it, but then I'd also say anytime FI give them free money away. That's a good thing for me. It's better in my pocket than theirs. So, you know, I'd probably keep it, but I'd definitely simplify it. I just see it literally as a bonus. I don't trade for it at all. I don't track it. I got the email today to say I had 750,000 points, which I thought was amazing. And then I saw that that's under 30 quid. It just looks very poor to that respect. And I'm sure other people are getting the same emails and thinking that, you know, this isn't worth chasing by itself. It's a good bonus, you know, it's 30 quid that I wouldn't have before, but I mean, I ditched the idea. It's just so confusing. And for somebody that just come on the platform and is trying to make heads or tails of that, it's just impossible. It's just so complicated. It just needs to be simplified, doesn't it? Whether it's turned into kind of a team of the month thing or it's done the same, but it's just completely simplified. I don't know. But I just don't think it can be a long-term thing for FI in its current state just because it's too complicated. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd much rather they sorted out media and yeah. know, tech issues and got themselves ready for that. I mean, I hope it's somewhat automated because God forbid somebody actually has to track that manually and work out all the points. And yeah, I just think there's more 
pressing issues that need to be resolved right now than super match day dividends. I'd love to speak to the person that's caught with that idea because I think it's like he's probably got carried away with himself thinking, oh, I've caught with a great idea here and I'm going to massively complicate it. And all it needs to be is what Fig said. It just needs to be a player of the month type thing. Everyone would understand that and it'd be easy. <laughs> you know, it's just they've got carried away and they're either going to massively simplify it or they're going to do away with it. They certainly won't be keeping it in its current form. I wouldn't want to bet on that, whether or not, either way, because you never know with FI. But FI Lewin's got a really interesting question here. Is that the same guy as the question above? Or have I just mistyped that? Sorry if I've picked the wrong name here. If you were picking a side in a 4-3-3 formation based on strongest football index holds, who would be in your 11? Is age a factor here or are we just going... Mate, I don't know. If I gave you 10 grand and you could... Or 11 grand, you had to spend a grand on each position. Grand on each player. I mean, I'd pick most of the Liverpool team, to be fair. <laughs> most of their back four, certainly. I mean, you'd probably pick Alisson for goalkeeper. Trent Van Dijk would be in there. Kimmich, but, you know, you'd play him in front of the back four as he is, but, you know, he's still a defender. Front three's fairly obvious. You'd probably go Neymar, Ronaldo, Messi, or potentially Sancho if you were age-appropriate. <laughs> age-appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a good question. I wouldn't really want to go 4-3-3. Three, three. I'd want to go 3-4-3 three, three, or... You know, even play four up front. Mm. Kaiser, any shouts here in this dream team? I was thinking about it before. I would go for thinking about people that I'm going to make the most money off over the next year or so. Um, that's how I'd look at it. So I'd be looking at transfer targets as opposed to who's the best player and the best players on the platform. So, you know, Sancho right now is obviously the best player. He's the highest priced. So working from the back, I can't argue with Trent. Trent's a great shout. I'd probably put up Max Aarons for that just because he's will get a transfer. I see, you know, a little bit Trent-like there. Centre-backs, be thinking of transfer holds there. So I would probably go who's available. Probably Chelsea linked with Ake, so someone like him. Diaz, left-back, Tagliafico. Probably get a few of the Ake young players on my team, actually. I love Vlasic. As a, Everton should never have got rid of Vlasic, so I think he's a good <laughs> one. I think he's a great player. Grealish I'm really enjoying at the moment, so I'd have them to, I mean, this is an attacking team. So I've got Vlasic, Grealish, I'd probably go with... <laughs> Owa at Leon, I'm enjoying watching him play. Kept him recently, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. He looks a great player. I mentioned Sancho already. I'd have, I'd probably have Timo Werner. I think lots of interest in him or Dembele. And then I'd go for, I fancy the Dutch to do well at the Euros, so I'm going to pick one of those. And I would go either Boadu or Stengs. Probably Stengs. Maybe keep in. Or Depay. If Depay, I mean, miraculous if Dubai comes back. Can I just make a point on Depay? Because we were talking about ACL injuries. Earlier on before, I'd been speaking with Sigmund Freund, who's like a very knowledgeable guy. We spoke about kind of ACL injuries and recovery time and actually what people don't factor into their decision to buy a player or, for example, Depay at the minute, it's looking like it's going to be the quickest ACL recovery of all time. He's like jogging around and, you know, he's on a treadmill, about to go back on the training pitch. But actually, if we use nine months as a guide, as kind of, you know, like a rough average for how long it takes to recover from an ACL, if their return to pitch is quicker than nine months, if it's like seven or eight months, they're five times more likely to re-injure that ACL. So, mm. you know, he's got to be really careful. I'm not saying Depay Holder should sell, but, you know, Depay himself's got to be really careful that he doesn't rush himself back for the Euros and actually re-injure himself. So that's just one thing to bear in mind. The longer that they're out, although it sounds ridiculous from an FI point of view, but the longer that they're out, the better, because if it takes longer than nine months, then actually there's way less chance of re-injuring that ACL or subsequent injuries. Kaiser, who's the, who's the, oh, is it Andre Gomez is apparently in the squad to, to play Arsenal? I was just thinking of that. Before I left on to get away with that, you just pissed all over one of my big holds. So thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'm not saying it's on the bite at all. I'm just saying, if he gets re-injured, I've warned you. No, no, no. You're right. It's an interesting view, isn't it? Gomez, Fig's come up with a great point and I was going to mention that myself. I mean, that is a miraculous recovery for Gomez. It was November. His leg was hanging off, wasn't it? I really don't know how that's going to go. What was the actual injury? I mean, it happened in the first week in November. What was the actual injury? Do you remember? Don't you remember like when uh, Son basically committed? I can remember it in my head, like the picture, yeah, but I don't know the what diagnosis? the actual diagnosis. Was it a broken ankle? This was Achilles, wasn't it? At the back of his Achilles, if I remember rightly. Fractured dislocation to his right ankle and he had surgery. Okay. Because I remember the tackle going on his Achilles. Um, yeah, it must have been his ankle and yeah. Incredible recovery. But, I mean, this is the thing. You can't necessarily judge time, can you? Because some of the players can be out for six months with that injury. 
we thought he was out for the season. You know, we were like, that's him done till pre-season. So, incredible. It's going to be really interesting when we beat Arsenal at the weekends if he's going to play. I mean, he's clearly got medical clearing from people that are way more clear qualified than me. But if five months ago, not even four months ago, four and a half months ago, I was sat there with my ankle flopping all over the shop and I just had surgery. I mean, but then again, like Callum Hudson-Odoi as well, he ruptured his Achilles and he was back in, what, seven months? Yeah. He probably, or he might not get back to the, the, the chances are, probability-wise, that he probably won't get back to the, the levels that he's expected to get to in terms of his potential. But for him to actually be playing Premier League football after a ruptured Achilles seven months on is pretty impressive. So I guess each situation is different, isn't it? But a few outliers, of course. Achilles is the one, isn't it? When I think of injuries, we talk about ACLs and stuff like that. There's quite a few players that have, have come back from an ACL and done really well. Uh, Van Nistelrooy, you know, I mentioned a couple earlier. Van Nistelrooy was definitely one. But the Achilles one, that's a bad injury, that one. You get that, which is Achilles. I don't know if you come back the same player. You lose yard of pace, don't you, a lot of the time. And for someone like hudson Adoy, that's such a big part of his game. That might be why it's taken him longer to kind of, well, he hasn't really regained the form of before the injury. I'm not going to write him off yet. I don't hold him, but I'm intrigued to see how he gets on in pre... I think this season's gone pretty much, but how he gets on in pre-season. I don't think he's going to go to the Euros now. I think he hasn't... I don't know if he's played well enough. Quite a lot of competition there. So I'd give him the summer to recover um, and, you know, get back to his best. And I'm intrigued to see how he goes next season. Hopefully he does well. Let's see. That was an interesting tangent that we took on. Just became injury specialists, the three of us. I appreciate you guys coming on and waiting until after those Champions League games have just finished. Hunter, where can people find out more about you? Um, on Twitter as Index Profit Hunt, I believe. Follow me if you like what you hear. I don't tweet a massive amount. Most of it's just calling out traders I don't like and that I don't feel are good for the platform. But, you know, it's all in good fun. I also did a beginner's guide recently. I know you're kind of the king of the beginner's guide, feed, <laughs> but it was kind of 30 tips in 30 days. So if you are a new trader, it's on my pinned tweet. I've got an inkling you were struggling towards the, the last few oh, days. Oh, sure. Yeah, I was throwing up all sorts of rubbish tips towards the end. But, you know, the first 10 or so were good. So even if you only check out the first 10, then that's more than enough. Kaiser, great debut from you, sir. How are you feeling after that? And uh, where can people find out more about you? I'm still buzzing off the Liverpool results. So I'm, <laughs> I'm still feeling great. You know? <laughs> Do you know what? Every time someone from, I'd say, the north of the Watford Gap comes to the podcast, I always get a DM being like, Great to hear more northern voices on on the, <laughs> on the show. So glad to get you on. And then half the time I'm like, well, actually, I've had people from all the way up in like Aberdeen on the podcast, but they're from London originally, so it's not really my fault. Shout out to to Jay Jay Gatsby there. Cheers for having me on. So I'm on Twitter, but not too much. So I am. Well, I can't even remember your name now. What am I? I my bit is fi underscore de Kaiser. After the great centre half himself, model my game on him. <laughs> Well, if you guys are commuting right now, have a great commute. If you aren't commuting, doing whatever you're doing, going for a run, taking your dog for a walk, I hope you have a great day. Sorry we didn't get to answer all your questions. There were quite a few, especially from Tom Bleachfield. So sorry, mate, we didn't get to answer all your questions. Football Index is a gambling platform. Just want to remind you of that. Only bet what you can afford to lose. And if the fun stops for you, then please do stop. It's not an investment platform. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. Have a great day.